Happy Friday. Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host and Canucks insider Thomas Trance. You can also read Trance's work at The Athletic covering the Canucks. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech footwear, and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Day off for the Canucks ahead of facing the Flyers tomorrow at Rogers Arena. But still lots to get into, and uh, we should start follow-up on a thread that developed yesterday while we were on the air. Uh, We didn't know what was going on exactly at the time. Didn't get any clarity from Rick Tockett, but reports now that Thatcher Demko has suffered a setback, tweaked something at practice yesterday. We're still waiting to see what the fallout is. I'll read the... The the organization seems to be still waiting to see what the fallout is. Uh, we probably won't. Know. This is probably going to be a topic to really dive into next week. Yeah, I'll, I'll read the initial report from uh, Irfan Gavar, friend of the station for the uh, Canucks Insider with the fourth period, who reported it last night. Uh, here's what Irf had to say. Sounds like Thatcher Demko suffered a setback and tweaked something in practice on Thursday. Canucks won't know full extent of injury for a few days. That's from Irf. Uh, Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast had very similar uh, reports to pass along that basically, yes, there was something happened, a tweak, a setback, whatever you want to call it, uh, but we're not exactly sure when and it looks like we won't have clarity for, as Irv said, a few days. So it does obviously, it, it would seem to, you know, Demko himself said if no setbacks, his goal was to be the backup for the Philly game tomorrow. Obviously that you would think, is off the table now. You would think. There's a lot of interesting questions. I mean, not just for there's for the near future here, for the rest of the season, what it does, what Demko's health looks like, what his status is going to be for the rest of the season. Uh, what do they do with their goaltending situation after having spent since Spencer Martin down? How long will Archer Shilovs uh, stay up? Or Seelovs? Sorry, Batch. I know you don't want Shilovs. It's Seelovs. Uh, well, it's not, but yeah. <laughs> Hey, man, I'm just trying to stay in the good graces of our Canucks broadcasters. I, I would I would highly recommend not. <laughs> Why are you pulling me? I'm right. Very good. Um, but anyway, so that's the latest on Thatcher Jumpcoat. I mean, the obvious kind of knee jerk is, well, what are we doing here? There's 27 games left. Shut them down. Because obviously you want to be in- extraordinarily cautious with Thatcher Demko, and it has the added bonus of helping the Canucks continue to lose games down the stretch. The thing is, we don't actually know <laughs> if it's serious enough to rise to that level. Well, we, we need to see. And, you know, I don't think you really, with the long view in mind, I don't really think you want Thatcher Demko to play, like, 15 games over an 18-month stretch for his long-term sort of career prospects or development or growth as a goaltender either. Right, like you have to be mindful too that mothballs aren't a, a, a useful mm-hmm. item for a goalie either. So I think it's too early to speculate on on what all this means. I don't think the organization knows. I don't think the people close to Demko know just yet. Um, these matters, particularly when you're talking about core core issues, core things. The, the goaltending position is extraordinarily demanding. Yes, it right. Is. I mean. Let's be real, right? Like, pro sports is cruel. 
it, on your body, right? Like the um, pitching, the oh, act man. of pitching is just brutal. Mm-hmm. The act of goaltending is to pitch, like what pitching is to arms and shoulders and elbows and joints, goaltending is to the groin, the hip, the knee. Right? I mean, just think about the actions that you see NHL goaltenders do on every single shot attempt they face, right? 70, 80 times a, a game, you're sort of using like quick jerk reflexes to get on your knees or to slide or to just do a deeply unnatural action <laughs> that, you know, accrues over time. And, and Demko is an interesting case because he's in this generation of goaltenders that approached some of the hip injuries that can crop up over the course of a career proactively, Mm. right? He got hip impingement surgery. Like he was either at the end of high school or early in his college career, uh, which is basically the equivalent of like a prospect getting Tommy John at, you know, which is something you see now as well, right? Like at at a hint of trouble, it's like, you know what? Let's just do Tommy John now. Get it out of the way. Or before you do it, you do it. And then you take a year off at a big 10 school rehabbing. And And, then you pitch one year and go in the first round. You have three miles an hour extra on your fastball when you come back. (laughs) Right. Um, But, you know, there was this generation of goalies like Thatcher Demko, John Gillies, a variety of players who all sort of went and got this proactively. Um, you know, I, I worked with Lou, Roberto Luongo, through the toward the latter stages of his career and saw the rolling out and the stretching and the 90-minute, you know, dynamic workout that he required just to step on the ice for a warm-up skate or practice, which he did every day. Um, you know, he was in his 40s at that point, but it looked brutal. It looked brutal. So, you know, you do want to tread cautiously, for sure. Um, we don't know exactly what this means, so we don't know the length of the absence, and it's hard at this point for us to get into the, like, what does this mean for the tank? What does this mm-hmm. mean for Demko going forward? What does this mean for the team's wider plans? I think one thing we probably do know, if if Demko doesn't back up against Philly, then, you know, the idea of a Demko trade yeah. this close to the deadline. To me, that's the number one. I didn't think it was going to happen anyways. The timing but, was going to be really, that really up. tight. It seems Throw like that it's out, out the, the window. window at this point. And at this point, you're almost more like – because, again, obviously, I understand why the uh, from a lot of fans it's, okay, shut him down for the season because you do have to be extremely concerned with Thatcher Demko's health and his ability to play and his ability to thrive for you. But as you said, there's probably a middle ground where you want him to play some number of games and play well this season well, and just to build his confidence up, if anything else. And so you wait – like realistically you wait you see how the tests come back you see where you see where he's at um you know i i don't think it's a bad thing if he's able to rehab and get back into your lineup to play five to ten games over yeah. the balance of the season um you know i don't think it would be a bad thing for him to go to the worlds and like you know provided that he's got a clean bill of health and can hold up you know like i don't think those sorts of opportunities um should be sniffed at I don't think you can bubble wrap a pro athlete. No. You know, especially not one who's Demko's age. So, you know, you got... There is the other thing, too. I just I just want to say all of this to avoid, like, the the shut him down thing is, is the easy thing. But, like, there's... First of all, guys want to play. Secondly, I don't think, you know, Demko's season last year ended as a result of injury. How many games has he even played this year? 20? Yeah, I don't know. Like, but... less? Doesn't feel like a lot. Especially because the team was legitimately opting like doing doing he played, um he played, a le- 
15 games. Right. This doing year. doing elective. So Yeah. So what? He got hurt you know, late March of 2022. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time you get to September of 2023, he's going to have played 15 games in an 18-month stretch. Like that's not good either. You don't want that, I don't think either. I'm sure he doesn't want that. No. And again, if if there is any traction to the idea of trading him, not just for the deadline, but if you're going to try to trade him in the summer, you want him to be back on the ice. You want teams to see that he's has his health back. He's playing well, right? Like that becomes a consideration as well. well and, and for his sake, I just want to see him play games. You know, like yeah. I'm sure he is deeply frustrated. No, no competitor would not be. So this is a, a really tough break for the person to, and yeah, well, again, we'll unpack this at greater length next, it, next week. It and see certainly where it sounds like we will know more on Monday after the weekend. We'll see. I, and I'm, I'm really curious to see what, if there are any roster moves at the goalie position as well, or how long does Seelove stay up. But I think we'll have a much better handle on that all on Monday. Well, let's, so let's, let's go to the other piece of news today, which yep. is that the Canucks have put or placed Tanner Pearson on LTI, which gives them – what something like seven and a half million in I LTI space? So, yes. Um, now with Ilya Mikheyev, Tucker Pullman, Michael Furland, all also on long-term injured reserve. So the Canucks have a lot of space here, and there are some situations percolating around the league that are are worth monitoring. Uh, Pulyarvi. So just before we get into um, okay, sorry, just to set it up because we got a uh, we got a tweet from uh, a regular listener, Deaky Pete, on Twitter. Uh, who asked, is Why there a... Why does Pete not tweet at me? He did. This one included you. Oh, okay. Anyways. I, just I, check I just your mentions, ha- bro. Uh, <laughs> which I intentionally... I, I can't I, imagine why you wouldn't. I intentionally try not <laughs> to see all the people tweeting clown emojis at me. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, anyways, Deaky Pete tweeted, uh, is there a reason that he hasn't been put on LTIR before this? Is there a cap benefit? Shenanigans? Can you guys talk about this? on Canucks Talk, and he also followed that up with, uh, not like you guys have a, a planned show well in advance or anything. Sorry, I'm just curious. It's like, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry about that. We don't have to throw out a lot of meticulous planning uh, to get to this question, Tiki Pete. But I do think it's an interesting question, because it's not. this isn't like reflective of any tangible change in Tanner Pearson's status or his health. It's it's an accounting move, so why now? If Why wait? Why do it now specifically? Well, that question is given extra weight by the timing of Mikheyev going on LTI, right? Mikheyev didn't go on LTI until the Canucks had to recall following the All-Star break, Neil Zaman, Vasily Podkolzin, and Phil DiGiuseppe. They literally needed some of Mikheyev's mm. space to make those three recalls. So what does that tell us? That tells us that, or at least it implies, that the Canucks don't, you know, go into LTI. It's it's not just this player's out for the season. Boom, he's on LTI. No, they are deliberate about it. And last time, anyway, they placed a player on LTI the moment they needed the space and not before, which sort of is a very big hmm. Now, luckily, we've got J-Wall coming up. Yes. So we can speculate on, um, you know, r- timing reasons. Actually, that's, someone, a great, that's a great question. Yeah, with someone J-Wall, who sure. actually manages this stuff and did for – you know, 15 years uh, working with Lawrence Gilman and, and Mike Gillis and then and then with Jim Benning. So uh, he'll have an even more sophisticated take on it than me, but it's certainly interesting and absolutely worth sort of side-eyeing here, particularly because, to get back to my, the, the point I was going to make, there are some situations percolating around the league. 
not just Jacob Chikorin and and what's his first name? <laughs> Ga- what's Gavrikov's first name? Uh, Vladislav? Is it no? Sure. Oh. Is it? You know. look it up. That defenseman in Columbus. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to like order you around. Like, no, look no, no, it no. up. I was already looking it up. It is Vladislav. We'll do it live. Nailed it. Um, should have had more confidence. You should have been like, it's definitely Vladislav. Yeah, I totally. <laughs> Vitali. Who did I call Vitali? Vanacek. Uh, Vanacek. I called him Vitali Vanacek, the, yeah, the right. famous Italian <laughs> goaltender. Um, okay. There are some situations percolating. Among them, that Yamamoto is poised to return to the Edmonton Oilers lineup, uh, and the club has opted for now not to waive Jesse Pugliarvi, which is uh, certainly an expected consideration, but instead reassign Dylan Holloway and uh, a defenseman named Dayarnay to their American League affiliate. Just sort of clearly, they're in waiting mode. They don't want to give up Pugliarvi mm-hmm. for free. They're in waiting mode. Fogel was another guy that uh, sounded like there was maybe at least well, consideration or possibility that, he could be on waivers. And that would be a tremendous addition to Vancouver's collection of middle six forwards making a lot of money. <laughs> like, Jesse Pugliarvi's at least, like, fits within the reclamation. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. Warren Fogel's, like, legit a bottom six forward making three million a year. It's like... The Canucks must have him like like a Pokemon. They I mean, they must collect them all, like the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, <laughs> like, but between between Mikheyev, Beauvillier, and Fogel, right? I mean, it's just like how many? Oh, and Pearson. How Always many? Room. How many? How many two and a half million dollar plus third uh, bottom six uh, wingers can you can one team have? Like <laughs> Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin, hold my beer. Um, so. It's interesting because the Canucks have now set themselves up to be a pretty interesting clearinghouse ahead of the deadline. One wonders, certainly certainly, I think it's fair if your spidey senses are, your antennae are raised in the wake of Pearson going on LTI and the club formally announcing it. Again, based on what we've seen from the team, uh, you know, with the timing of the Mikheyev, um, you know, paper transaction uh, followed by those recalls. It, it certainly does beg the question if there might be another shoe to drop. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting one to watch. At the very least, if it's not like imminent as in today, this weekend or anything, it does suggest they have something in mind ahead of the trade deadline. At the very least, they're creating the opportunity to be get involved in something before the trade deadline. And, and, and giddy up. Yeah. If, if this team takes on some bad money for some futures, like – Oh man, I'm gonna be, let's go. I would love to have the opportunity to sing their praises for such a move. Speaking of which, do we got the talk at audio? Yeah, we want to go to that. I, well, I do because it's part and parcel with, you know, actually leaning in. Yeah, to the situation. So I, in I which just want to set it up. So uh, it was dice and ice for the Canucks last night. Canucks Central with uh, Dan Riccio and Satya Yarshad. They were live there. They talked to Pod Colson, uh, Anthony Bovillier. And Rick Tockett. And it's a really interesting interview with Tockett, actually. I like it because, and we've been kind of joking around about this as well, we've, we're all getting used to the Rick Tockett lexicon, all of the specific terms that he likes to use and that he obviously really prioritizes. And they were joking with him a little bit about that as well. And it almost functions as like an annotation of the Rick Tockett lexicon. They're like, wall guy, explain that more to us. What do you mean by this? So it's a really interesting interview. But I think the one that stands out, the one, the quote that's got the most traction and for very good reason, is talk it talking kind of about... <laughs> Sorry, wall guy, though. Can we unpack this a little further? Wall guy. <laughs> what? 
I don't know. It's like, I feel like that's his nickname for Spider-Man. You know, it feels very much like he works at the Daily Bugle and is like... <laughs> Trying to come up with one that didn't stick. You know, like, whoa, guy! <laughs> Jim Jameson's just like no. Oh my gosh! All the all the superheroes in the Rick Tocket multiverse, like yeah. Wall Guy, uh, Inside Guy, <laughs> Small Guy, <laughs> Big Guy. The villain is the spinner, <laughs> the super villain that heavy, you must stop. Heavy Guy. That's the Blob from the X Men. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we will get is back. Inside Guy, Professor X, because he goes inside your yeah, head. Yeah, maybe. Dom, Dom's not impressed. <laughs> Dom hates it. I don't know about that. So one. mad. Uh, anyways, the the most interesting one was talking about a little bit about where the team is, and maybe how long it will take them to turn things around, and what that process might look Are like. Are they on the ground? Are they on the wall? Sure. Here's here's Rick Tockett. I do like the candor and the honesty that that you've brought uh, to to your availability so far. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I am. I mean, mm-hmm. I played that way. I'm a coach. Like, and I get it. You know, I, I sat in that seat with those guys. You know, I, I played every position as a first liner and a fourth liner. I've been on some championship teams, and I've been also teams that were, I guess, rebuilding or not so good. So um, I understand what's going on. And, um, you know, this is about a plan, you know. And uh, Patrick Alvino, I think, I know for the Pittsburgh days, just a super guy. Um we speak the same language and uh jim you know this is uh you know we got to stick to the plan might have to get kicked in the teeth a little bit right now mm-hmm. uh but in the long run i think that's the way we got to go and uh, i'm all in on that that is rick talking and it was really the piece at the end there but i think got people's attention and got people pretty excited as well we might get kicked in the teeth a little bit right now but this is the way we got to go and i'm all in on it and he talked about just that also that he knows it's going to be a long-term process talked about his conversations with Patrick Alvin, which goes back to something we heard when talk was introduced as the coach right that they were all under the understanding that there's no quick fix here and talk it continues to echo that now I do I do think it's interesting because you hear we might get kicked in the teeth a little bit right now right and it's easy to think that maybe he is talking about the losing that's going to happen I do wonder if it's also more about the process at practice than actual, you know, quote unquote tanking. But I still do think there's something very refreshing. First, how many times have we talked about alignment, right? And just the ability to step back as an organization and take a long-term view. And at the very least, that quote suggests that him and Patrick Alvin are both taking a step back and taking a more long-term view. Well, so that's what I'm saying. Like if this team, well, and, and I mean, we'll see what Demko's status is, but that could, that could give you some more LTI space potentially. Um, if this team is actively practicing their players into the ground to enhance their lottery odds, first of all, I love it. I love everything about it. Right? It's such a, it's such a like fair way of expressing your displeasure with how this season has gone. Well, it, look, here's the thing. It's it's, it's sh- actually totally valid when you think about it. Like we we need we have things we need to work on in practice, and we're going to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't you can't sure. even really like be mad at them for undermining the competitiveness. They're no. entitled to use their practice time however well, they see fit. Also, like let's be real, like two points at the start of the season is worth the same as two points late mm-hmm. in the year, but it's not in an NHL in which it's almost impossible to come back. Like this team has shown up and packed it in by November, two years in a row. So, you know, you want to make sure there's not a lot of days off down the stretch? That's fine. These guys make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I have, I have. Not only do I have no problem with it, I think it's appropriate to show this group, 
how unacceptable this has been. Yeah, and at the very least, even if they're not doing it intentionally to kind of weaken the team's performance, they're no, not no, no. concerned. If they're well, you know what I mean. That's not like Sorry. a concern at the top of Sorry. mind. If they're not doing it intentionally to weaken the team's performance, then they only get half marks from me. <laughs> what but I like, very what least, I like about it, stopping them from doing right. it. Right. What I like about it is the is the raw cynicism of like rest is a weapon. Let's use it against ourselves. <laughs> like that's what I like about it. Uh, it's gonna be really curious to see what kind of morning skate they have tomorrow because they didn't practice today. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> For uh, seventy-five minutes, other teams like, come on. <laughs> okay, guys, we're getting on the ice at nine a.m. <laughs> Let's go. So, I love that. If the team combines that with using cap space creatively to accumulate picks. And, like, I'm just going to throw a benchmark out there because I, I, when I wrote and diagrammed with Harmon Dial what our perfect trade deadline would look like for the Canucks, mm-hmm. we said five draft picks. Five draft picks of some, of some magnitude. I think, I think I'll give them two as if they've acquired two because Atu Ratu is, like, young enough and forward-looking enough that All right. I think that satisfies – what we were talking about, which sure. was like not the reclamation project guys, yeah, but draft picks. guys obviously, who were not yet established NHLers. Obviously, I'd still prefer draft picks, but whatever. They also got such a high value first. Literally, we in the thing we were like, get someone's first for next year, like a, a protected first that could roll over. So they literally nailed that out of the park. If you can add three more draft picks, like one for Shen and two for taking Dead bad money. money or or just functioning as a clearinghouse, like. Teams get a fifth or a sixth round pick sometimes just for, like, you you hold a guy in par- a paper transaction for a second, retain half their salary, and then send them on. They can do two of those. If they can do two of those in trade Shen, I think this has been, like, pretty close to a home run deadline for the Canucks. You know, is it as good as if they'd also, you know, cleared Garland or Besser and sure. got a mega return and, and also done the same with – no, but it's, it's pretty – close and would demonstrate the sort of forward thinking that we haven't seen from this organization in a while i i'm here i'm here for now that this season has gone this far off the rails the canucks are situationally aware enough to nail it i think that would be a tremendous comeback for a management team that's deservedly been roundly criticized including by me over the course of the season and you know what i think it would give it would give me and i think it would give a lot of fans more confidence going into the offseason as well because one of the things uh, I got his pushback to the idea that, you know, there's real value to opening up Brock Besser's cap space is people saying, well, they're bad. What do they need cap space for? And the, you know, the kind of more advanced version of that, aren't you just concerned that they're going to go spend it in free agency on bad deals if they do open up cap space? I think that's totally fair to have as a concern when you see how this team is traditionally operated. Absolutely it is. But moves like the one, the ones you're talking about, right, where you're taking on bad money to get draft picks, that's not... To me, that's not what you're doing if you're looking at going out and going on a spending binge in free agency. Not that they're mutually exclusive necessarily, but I think it's another piece of evidence that, okay, they're having a different frame of mind when they talk yeah, about clearing I, cap space. I mean, I genuinely think the Canucks should just do the, like, $1 million deals. You know, 100%. like the, the August, or sorry, the, the July 15 deals. Like, that's what the Canucks should be looking for. Now, you don't have to do them on July 15th. Dakota Joshua being a perfect example where you, like, target a guy right off the bat. Give him a two-year, eight hundred fifty k, even though he's not an NHL 
player like at the time he wasn't like an established everyday nhl player yeah like those are the deals that the canucks should be looking to do in free agency if they open up cap space they should be looking for their versions of the sean monahan trade that's my view but anyway i'm 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 beginning if this if this pearson lti move indicates that there's a, a shoe either about to drop imminently or the club wants the flexibility to take advantage of an opportunity that could crop up over the next two weeks I look at that and think, hey, this team is beginning to do some stuff that actually makes a lot of sense, and what a welcome relief that is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Joining us next to talk a little bit about LTIR going into the trade deadline and more, Jonathan Wall, former member of the Canucks front office. That's coming up next. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz coming to you live from the Kintec Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Jonathan Wall will join us momentarily. Uh, Snoop the Dog texts in, Friday of a long weekend? No way the Canucks would wait to drop a trade last minute. There has been news. There has been news on uh, some Fridays before long weekends with the Canucks. Uh, The JT Miller one in particular, I remember. So we will see. We will see Snoop the Dog uh, if anything comes of it. Of course, that relates to our conversation about Tanner Pearson going on LTIR and whether there's anything imminent going down with the Canucks. We will keep you posted uh, as we hear things. Of course, day off for the team. They're back in action. They host John Tortorella and the Philadelphia Flyers tomorrow at Rogers Arena. But now joining us on the line, as mentioned, a longtime former member of the Canucks front office and uh, a regular here on Canucks Talk. He is Jonathan Wall. Jonathan, thank you as always for doing this. How are you? My pleasure, guys. I'm doing great today. It's another beautiful day. I seem to say that every week. Yeah. The Okanagan. It's another beautiful day. It's funny. Uh, the Okanagan is a, is a beautiful place, it turns out. <laughs> do, do, it do you is. work Anyone in Okanagan real move? estate, John? <laughs> I do. Anyone who wants to move here, make sure you reach out and uh, get a hold of me. I'll help you uh, help you make this a reality for you. So. Self-interestedly, it's a beautiful day in the Okanagan. <laughs> Always. Always. Hey, uh, AJ, well, there's some cap news uh, circling the Canucks, so um, you happen to be on at the exact right time. Uh, Tanner Pearson has been placed on LTI. That gives the Canucks an LTI pool in excess of $7.5 million, two weeks out from the trade deadline. Um, hypothetically, like what, what can you walk our listeners through in terms of, and, and obviously not asking uh, an insider-y question, just like from the perspective of someone managing the cap, what sort of calculations are weighed in timing when a player who you've known is done for the year for at least a month uh, goes on LTI? I mean, if you're if you're in LTI already, the timing really doesn't matter a lot uh, because once you set your your capture point, that's sort of your capture point as long as you're in. So it really doesn't matter a lot. Generally, you don't want to whether it's put a player on IR, put a player on LTI. You don't necessarily want to do it until you need to. 
in a situation like Tanner's, if they've known he's done for the season, I think it's just a matter of probably just choosing to do it now to give themselves some flexibility and mm-hmm. one less thing to sort of think about as they move towards the deadline here. Yeah, and and so one thing we'd brought up in the first segment, and uh, you know, I'm gonna give you a chance to dunk on me in case I had it wrong. Was was I'd pointed out I'd I pointed out that Ilya Mikheyev hadn't gone on LTI until the moment the Canucks needed to dip into the space to get three players up onto their roster from right. the AHL team, and I, I just pointed out like typically this team has used LTI only once they need it. Um, yep. So in this case. You know, is that a, is that a fair inference to draw, or completely unrelated in your view? No, I think. I mean, it could be a couple of things. They could have something <clears throat> that's imminent. They could have wanted to put them on just to get their calculations square where that's at, or they could again have just. You know, there's a lot going on. I think the team's heading on on a road trip, and it may have just been one of those things where the timing was right to just do it now. Mm. I don't know. Um, again, we've always wanted to be cautious before we put a player in LTI. And, you know, even on IR, once you make that determination, that timeline is locked. So you really don't want to jump ahead and do something, you know, if it's a long-term season-ending injury, you have a better sense. But if you've got one of these two- or three-week injuries that ends up lingering, you really don't want to put that player in LTI before you have to. I want to give you, I want to throw another scenario at you that played out this week and that I'm curious to to hear um you know, from from someone who's managed these issues, why a team might have approached this th- th- in this manner. So, Canucks have Colin Delia, who's been on the roster for, geez, like at least ten weeks now, on on emer- on emergency conditions, right? Like he's still up on emergency conditions specifically. So Spencer Martin clears waivers and goes down earlier this week. Archer's Silov, Silovs, excuse me, is recalled and plays in a game. Delia remains on emergency conditions. Is there a reason why, like for for oh, and then I guess the other looming factor here would be you've got a IR'd goaltender who's preparing to come back and was scheduled to back up on Saturday. Um, we'll see if that actually happens, but it's looking right. unlikely. So. Given those sets of considerations, it, w- would there have been a reason why the club, just from a like moving paper around perspective, would have preferred to throw the rookie goaltender into the, the game against the New York Rangers earlier in the week as opposed to saving him for an easier opponent later on? You know, Thomas, I'm not sure. We, we sort of texted a little bit about that in, in real time. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, with, with Ian Clark and sort of his command of his goalie roster, uh, I would imagine Ian had a, a timeline in mind, whether it was for Thatcher to return uh, for different players to play in different points. Um, so I would I would expect that that Ian had a reason, or the the team had a reason for putting you know archers in that situation. Um, but I don't know specifically why they would why they would have done it in that in the order that they did and the timing they did. But more than that, there's no like obvious cap or paper pushing reason that I'm missing in sort of wondering why they why they would have approached that way. I, I looked at it and without any of the insider information, I really couldn't you, you yeah. know couldn't tell what their internal thinking is. Yeah. Sometimes you know you just want to again if if a decision has been made on a player, you may just want to move him move him down, uh, get him through waivers, move him down to save the risk of an injury to him. Uh, you know, I think one year we had a player we wanted to send down. I think it might have been Lee Sweat. It was it, 2011. Brady, yeah, Brady, yeah, you know, and v- right Vigneault went there. rogue and gave him an extra practice. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and for me, I've always, you know, and it, you know, I always had to take the hard line. This is sort of the approach, and sort of take the feeling out of it. 
but in my mind, it was always, you know, once you've made a decision on a player, you, you, you act on it. And if, if you decide you're going to send a player down to give him that extra practice, you know, you, you, you may want, oh, we need six defensemen or we need 14 fours, whatever that is. But my mind was always, once you've made the decision, get the player and, and move them along because you don't want to have an injury or something surprise come up and change your plan. Can I ask you to revisit the Lee Sweat story? Because Lee Sweat's Rudy moment against the Nashville Predators was like a highlight of a 2010-11 regular season that obviously had a lot of high moments. And yet, team used 13 defensemen that year, right? There were there were games where uh, there wasn't a lot of talent necessarily remaining on the blue line. Lee Sweat scores a big game winner assisted by both the Twins. And then what happened that complicated the deadline? Well, see, my, if, if I recollect, we had decided we were going to send him down. We were trying to set up our trade deadline to maximize our flexibility for what we want to do moving forward, as you always do. So basically, the, the rule of the deadline is if you're above the line at the deadline, you're sort of above the line. And if you're below the line, you're below the line. So when we talk, I think we talked about this last week, the line being, you know, the AHL, NHL mm-hmm. difference there. And once you hit the deadline, if you're above the line, and there are some very unique circumstances where it changes, but if you're above the line, you're basically locked in above the line. So what makes it really tricky, the deadline, and I, I know some of the media you know, people have, have suggested that they actually do the deadline on a day off. Maybe they move it to a Sunday and have it sort of as a day off. But it's a huge challenge to the teams to try to plan your deadline when you're actually playing games around the deadline. I think it was 2017, maybe. We had a back-to-back on the road. It was mm. Phoenix, Colorado, or Colorado, Phoenix, and we had two players get banged up in, in the first half of the back-to-back. So we're trying to manage the deadline, trying to figure out if we're going to have enough players to play the game, trying to figure out what recalls we need to do, and trying to move players around, you know, around sort of two different countries as we're trying to do all that. So you really want, you know, it, it really gets you know scary around the deadline where you start uh, seeing guys get hurt and it just, it can really change your plans quickly. In conversation with Jonathan Wall, former Canucks front office member here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. And, you know, as you mentioned, by moving Tanner Pearson to LTIR, whether or not there's something they're actually working on right now, it gives them the flexibility uh, as the deadline approaches. And, you know, there's two kind of key ways they could potentially use it. One is just straight up, we'll take a contract the other team doesn't want in in return for a sweetener. And the other one is if two teams or two other teams are trying to work on a deal, right, the Canucks can take a player, retain a little bit of salary, and then move that player on to the third team. And in that latter situation, you know, I'm kind of curious – how do you even go about getting involved as the third team in those deals? Is it just as simple as, you know, the general manager touching base with every other team and saying, hey, if you guys need some help, we're, we're on standby. We have the cap space to do it. I think that's part of it. When we, we talked a little bit last week about the, you know, the, the cheat sheet I used to make. And, you know, again, part of the GM's job would be to go through and make sure they're reaching out to all the, all the teams. I think, you know, with, with the amount of social media that's out there right now, putting Tanner Pearson on LTI today and it gets picked up by all the major outlets. And it, it, it's kind of, it, even though it's not a big story, it be kind of becomes a big story, but all of a sudden, you know, the Canucks LTI space is now on every team's radar. So, you know, the information is out there. And again, if a team is looking to do this, it's up to the GM to make sure that they know that, you know, that the Canucks are in that, in that business and it's also up to the GM to manage upwards with ownership to make sure that they understand the actual real dollars that are at play and how it could benefit the team down the road. So 
that's really interesting because there's almost uh, there's almost a case of advertising with the announcement is what you're saying. If you were in uh, the front office of a team who maybe needed help to make a deal at the deadline, you'd take notice of the Canucks putting Tanner Pearson and kind of file it away as somebody you could go to in that event. For sure. And now, you know, most teams are going to be checking in with other teams and watching it. But, you know, if you're a team maybe in the Eastern Conference, you're not following the Canucks specifically, you may not know that Tanner, you know, has been ruled out for the season or has been put on LTI. So, again, it's just a way that, you know, especially in the in the social media era, that everyone gets to see what's going on. And, and like you said, all of a sudden, it's, it's big news that the Canucks have all this LTI space and potentially more, depending what happens with uh, Thatcher here. John, I'm curious to get your take on a really esoteric third-party broker at the deadline question. Do changes in management and team circumstance impact where teams might look to solve some of their problems ahead of the deadline? And, And I bring this up because there's a couple of factors at play. One... The Detroit Red Wings, like we used to joke about Stevie's laundromat on this program, uh, their circumstances are a little bit different. They might not be in the market, particularly given that they've gone on this run recently and are actually very much now in the thick of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. Uh, Secondly, you've got Doug Wilson, who was another guy who specialized in these types of moves at the deadline. He's gone in San Jose. Um, Like, is there almost an opportunity as a result of the changing landscape for a new team to come in and take advantage as sort of a a clearinghouse here, uh, given where the market's at? Well, I think, I think there is, I think, you know, again, teams that are looking at these type of opportunities and are able to leverage these opportunities do have an advantage. And it's something that once you've determined that your season may be over, that you have players that are injured, that, um, you know, you have this opportunity, but again, there is a real dollar cost to this too. Right. So, you know, you, you've got all this LTI space, but it's actually that money's already spent. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to be adding more salary to a team that is, you know, more than likely not going to make the playoffs here in Vancouver. So all of a sudden, again, you do need the blessing from ownership to take into account, you know, the value of the return on the assets for the actual cash dollars going out. With how difficult are those types of conversations for a hockey operations staff to have, um, you know, um, not lost, I'm sure, on our listeners, the fact that these are not the types of trades that we've seen this organization make historically? Yeah, I mean, they are, their conversation, again, that's up to the manager to to manage upwards to ownership and make sure mm-hmm. that they really understand what the value of the assets that they're getting back are and the opportunities that are there. And really, it, it, it becomes you know, the opportunity of, or the decision of the owner to, to make the money. I remember one, one, or make the money work. I remember one trade deadline, we had a bunch of stuff we're working on. This was a long, long time ago. I think Berkey may have still been the GM and, and we were looking at a trade where we had to add some money. I remember him looking at, um, I think the president at the time and the representative ownership and was like, and basically said, we need this much money to do this trade. We think it helps. Do you authorize it? And to their credit, they, they thought and said, yep, do it. And we were able to get a player that helped us. So really, a lot of times it does depend on, on ownership's appetite to take on these, these liabilities, but also making sure that they understand clearly what the value of that is. And I think there's been enough trades recently where I think people do have a fairly better, you know, a fairly good understanding of what a draft pick is worth in these transactions. 
One of the things, the the salary cap situations that not just the Canucks, but every team in the NHL is dealing with now is how much uncertainty there is about what the cap is going to look like next year and down the road. And, you know, part of that is as we anticipate leaving the flat cap era, we we wait and see how big the jump is going to be, whether they'll kind of smooth it out. But another big part of it is the uh, the Bally Regional Sports Network bankruptcy that's unfolding yeah, yeah. in the U.S. as well. And you add it all up, and I think there's even greater uncertainty than usual about what the cap might look like next year and the year after. How difficult does that make somebody who is trying to plan out, you know, the strategy for the summer, the strategy for next team in terms of the salary cap for an NHL team? It's incredibly hard. I mean, we're, we're we get these forecasts during the season, and then I think it's generally comes out right before the draft, sort of a week before free agency where the number is sort of more or less set. And it's a huge challenge. And I think, you, you know, I think Thomas, you've, you've tweeted about it, the talk about well, the cap's going to go up and up and up. Mm-hmm. And that was the belief, but this, you know, Bally's news could obviously hinder that. And all of a sudden you had a team who maybe had budgeted two or three down, years down the road. And then uh, that's a, the, you know, a huge challenge with the, with the sort of flat cap, and the hard cap that the NHL has, there's really no wiggle room out of that. And it seems like the whole system is getting kind of bogged down because so many teams are near the cap. In reality, the way that the, you know, the cap is supposed to work is you've got the, the upper limit, the lower limit, and then the, you know, the midline, and you should have half the teams above half the teams below, and then it all balances out. So there's not this huge escrow and overage every year. Whereas now it feels like so many more teams are bumping up against the top. There's really not a lot of money in the system for teams to acquire players or to just move assets around to add, uh, you know, to, to make changes. John, how big a deal would it be if the PA and the NHL could come to an agreement on like a cap forecast that was like a $5 million lift guaranteed next year, a $5 million lift guaranteed the year after uh, a $5 million lift the year after. So that you had something like three cycles worth of certainty about where the cap went. How would that change planning from a team perspective? Well, I think that would change planning. The one, the one thing to, to be careful with that, though, too, is if you still are using the escrow system based on the AAV and the player share and the owner share, you sort of create this friction within the league where you've got free agents mm. who want the money to keep going up and up and up because it just makes more money in the system for them to, to, to get when they sign. But you've got players that are under contract who signed who are looking at those increases and worrying about what it does to their escrow. So you sort of create a little bit of fiction or friction within teams within the PA where you've got the players who've already guaranteed their money. They want that. They're kind of happy where it is because it keeps the escrow low where the other players in the free market want the cap to be as high as possible and uh, just puts more money in the system. But anytime you were to know with certainty, you could definitely plan your, you know, your schedule of, um, you know, we used to do this document of sort of a, you know, a planning document where you would sort of map out players where they're going to be and who's on your team for year after year and, and try to understand sort of where it's going to fit and, and the players you need to, to lock in on. I think too, it really does reinforce that teams need to be very careful when they lock into any players on long-term contracts, any player that's not maybe an elite player or a huge value move it feels like those short-term contracts are, 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 are a much safer way to go now because it gives you flexibility, whether it's, in, whether it's with injury, cap changes, or just personnel and coaching roster changes. 
Jonathan, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, the subject of buyouts has come up a lot. Uh, Canucks management has mentioned it. Certainly fans have talked about it, us in the media, the potential for buyouts in the summer. And I, I know there's a conversation to be had with ownership, of course, on the subject of buyouts, but I'm, I'm more interested in the process before that. As, as a hockey operations department, how do you arrive at this decision that you know the only way forward with a player is a buyout? What has to happen for that the, for that to be the choice uh, that the executives settle on? Yeah, I mean, look, the you know the buyouts are kind of a bit like LTI. Once you get into this cycle of LTI and buyouts and buyouts and LTI and bonuses, it's really hard to get out because you always have these liability drags on your cap moving forward. So obviously. As a hockey ops group, we would exhaust every opportunity to try to move a player. So it's, you know, you, you might waive them. You might try reaching out to other teams. Oh, you obviously reach out to other teams. You reach out to the agent, and let them know what's going on and see if they can find a spot for the player. So you are, are really trying to exhaust every opportunity you have to move that player, whether it's with a sweetener or, or anything you can do to try to move that player before you take that take that buyout because once you buy the player out that liability is locked in so you've got your your aa or your your cap hit and your years and it's locked in you can't get away from that so even if you keep a player and try to find a way to manage that player on your team you still have the opportunity down the road to move that player but once you lock in that that buyout amount it's locked in and you just can't get away from it jonathan always really appreciate the time and the insight Uh, enjoy another beautiful weekend in the okanagan will do Thanks so much. Guys. Have a good weekend. We'll Our pleasure. Soon. Thank you. Okay. That, that is Jonathan Wall, former longtime member of the Canucks front office, uh, giving us his, his insight into a lot of these salary cap situations surrounding the team and the league in general as well. And I like what he said uh, towards the end there about whether it's LTIR, whether it's buyouts, it's a vicious cycle. You're all It creates a situation where you're always just desperately scrapping for that extra little bit of salary cap flexibility in the near term. And you just keep kicking the ball down the road, kicking the can down the road and becomes really difficult to get out of it. That's why I think I've been so on the fence about an Oliver Ekman Larson buyout, right? It's because it creates years and years and years of this dead cap hit on your books. And man, when we start getting into it with like Connor Garland, I I don't even see how it makes an ounce of sense for the Canucks at this point. Well, with Garland? No, no. I, I mean, no, obviously, I, I just don't think any, there's any chance. Oh, well, I mean, sorry. sorry. I should say, I should say, I don't think there's any chance. <laughs> Rephrase it makes that. sense. Correct. Yeah. I agree with that. There, There is a chance. <laughs> Unfortunately. I think there is, yeah. Although, hey, maybe this... Uh, he's playing well. He's playing well. He's playing well with JT Miller at center, which well, I think JT is interesting. JT Miller's playing well with him. Sure. But they're playing well together. He's playing well. Right. JT Miller is playing well at center. With Garland on his wing. But my point is, if and they look at the it other as a way to get good results sure. out of JT Miller, yeah. like, hey, at least we have Connor Garland around. Hopefully, maybe there's something there. We can get good results out of JT Miller at center. Oh, my God. <laughs> the look your... on your face right there is well, incredible. It's just, like, it's just like, how many qualifiers do you need before it's just like, or we could just play him on the wing. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> like, Durant's a good co-host, so long as he's midday. With Jamie Dodd specifically, <laughs> Dom producing, and we book at least three guests a show. At what point is it just like, well, so he's not very good? <laughs> you know? Look, man, they're going to play JT Miller at center for the rest of the season. Yeah, right? well, and they should. And they should. And 
if they're if they're not worried about being good next year, they're probably going to play him at center next year too. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, if you're not if if you're rebuilding, fine. But if at any point you want to start winning games, he's going to be best off on the wing. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Or if at some point you want to rebuild his some of his value, unless you think, unless you think there's a path to getting decent results from him at center. Yeah, you know, I mean that can rebuild his value as well. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know how many. I don't know how many highlights you want. Like the, you know, the oh, what was the goal that was uh, so outraged me? Where uh, the one Vasily Podkolzin well, yeah. was the low guy. Yeah. Was that against Detroit? That was no. The, that was the, New York. That was New York. I don't think so. It was the third Detroit goal. Oh, you might be right. Actually, yeah, it was yeah. the third right. Detroit goal, and it's just like, come on, come on. You don't want too many clips like that out, regardless of what the underlying numbers look like when he's with Connor Garland. That's true. Uh, anyways, we, we can talk about that more. But uh, up next, we got an open segment. Keep your thoughts coming in 650-650. I do want to talk a little bit about what is going on with the Calgary Flames. Very interesting tweet from agent Alan Walsh last night and a lot of drama surrounding uh, the Canucks Pacific Division rival. So we'll get into that a little bit. Maybe look ahead to the weekend uh, and the game against Philly to Dmitry Filipovich coming up in the final segment. More Canucks talk on the way. Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Welcome Thomas Welcome back Trance. to third-party broker talk. <laughs> Nothing gets people more excited on Friday afternoon than you saying, I've got an esoteric third-party broker question coming up. Patrick's Pawn Shop, open for business. You need a third-party broker? We'll retain. It does feel kind of like greasy, though. You know what I no, mean? No, let's go. Let's no, no, go. no. I don't mean in a bad way, but just the process of getting involved in it, right? Like, because two teams are trying to make a hockey deal of some sort. They're like, they have legitimate hockey no, interests. You're helping. And you're just kind of on the side, like, hey, guys. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> prop Joe. Yeah. Yeah. From exactly. the wire. Like, I got uh, a proposition like, for you. I'm going to angle it. my way in here. <laughs> it's like, wait, are you giving us a player or anything? No, 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 no. <laughs> No, no, I'm willing to eat some money for a fifth-round pick. Purely a cash transaction. Um, it's great. It's such. I, I'm a, not criticizing. It's such a good Rob way. Joe was awesome. Got iced in the end, but he was an awesome character. By by Method Man? Uh, no, by um, uh, the the guy who's like the the up and comer who takes over. Marlo, everything. Marlo, yeah, 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 Stanfield, yeah. My name is my name. That's right. Um, not by Cheese. Cheese is his nephew, cheese is, I believe. Right. Oh, okay. Right now, I understand. Now I remember. Um, Hold on, I got to do a couple of reads, then we can get back to this thrilling conversation. Uh, about pawn shops and <laughs> yeah. third-party brokers. Canuck stock brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota All-Star Team, AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. I got a very exciting read to do here. Coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over twenty-five hundred. Five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Just got the email from our program manager, Cam Bear, at Kintech Studio. They've gone from over 1,500 five-star Google reviews, now supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. I am irrationally excited about it. Very, very excited. Uh, congrats to, uh, to Kintech for that one. Very good. Anyways. I'm not criticizing. When I say it's greasy and it's like a little seedy and it sounds all a little untoward, that's not a criticism. It's still open or it's still awesome. 
do it. You should absolutely do it. It's just kind of funny. See, I just like you're not taking advantage of the situation. You are helping. Oh yeah. Oh, you're not able to facilitate this without me. I, luckily for you, I, I, I'm so magnanimous that I'll get involved for the low, low price of some mid-round picks. <laughs> that, that that makes it sound like the mafia. You know, you're like, we're doing. Well, I'll I'll solve a problem for you. I solved a problem for you. What are you gonna do and for what me? What are you going to do? Oh, a for fourth me? round pick. Let's go. Let's go. Indeed. Hey. If they can do this, this would be great. I think this would be a fabulous turn. Like, it would be the first time that the club has used cap space creatively in 10 years. Mm-hmm. I will take that. Small victories matter when you're. Well, this especially, bad. especially small victories that suggest a change in mindset in some way, right? Like, that's that's the really exciting thing. It's not just whatever tangible benefit you get out of it. That's exciting, too. It's the fact that it's new, that it's different. Well, as it's you probably said, not it's exciting. It's probably a fourth or a fifth round that's pick. That's exciting to me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> We're, that's, that's why we are true sickos, excited by a fourth or a fifth round pick. Um, there's some good text coming into the inbox. We'll get to them. Uh, in a little bit here, but I did just want to dive into the the Calgary Flames situation a little bit here. The drama unfolding uh, in Calgary. I have owned so much Calgary Flames stock, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm I'm prepared to divest from it at this point. I mean, yeah, they're uh, six points back of the LA Kings, who I expected them to catch at some point. Their underlying numbers are so much better. Their goal differential is better, and yet, I like. There's something so funky there that goes so far beyond like the usual analysis of true talent and underlying performance and on and on. Like it's not even just their goaltenders are struggling. Like they don't play like they're well, they play like they're mad at their coach, which made Alan Walsh's tweet about the matter so interesting. Yeah, so Alan Walsh, who is, of course, an agent famous for uh, his very exciting and creative use of Twitter. And uh, Photoshop. And most notably with the Marc-Andre Fleury sword in the back of Photoshop, which was sensational. He also happens to be the agent for he's, Jonathan he's, Huberdeau. He's not shy about skewering his clients' employers. <laughs> no, he certainly is not. And uh, last night... The... His tweets are sharp. Very good. You done? You done? You got one more? He, he can cut the tension. There you go. There you go. I knew you wanted to get one more out. Uh, so last night, the uh, the Flames lose 5-2 to Detroit at home. This is coming off a game that they blew in overtime against Ottawa. And uh, Alan Walsh, who again is Jonathan Huberdeau's agent. Jonathan Huberdeau, you might have you might remember. Big off-season acquisition, signed to a long-term extension by the Flames. Uh, Alan Walsh tweets, The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Also, negativity sucks the joy right out of players. CC at NHL Flames. And he, help- <laughs> he helpfully tagged the Flames social media account in it, which is fantastic. Well, I hated that jo- Jacob Pelletier answer from Sutter. That was brutal. That, that was, was indefensible. brutal. Indefensible. Like just purposely humiliating a player making their NHL debut. Unlike on, on a, a, a joyous moment for their, them and their family. Yep, that was bad. If, if, if like you, the amount of sacrifice that goes into making the NHL is outrageous. Mm-hmm. I, I hated that. I hated everything about it. 
But anyway, so that comes out last night, and that's, you know, from a, an agent who's not afraid to speak their mind, as you said. Now, the interesting thing about it Huberto is- Huberto got asked about it today. Yeah. You saw that? And he said, right. hey, it didn't come from me. Didn't come from me. No, it didn't. It came from his agent. Yeah. Now- that's why you have an agent, so that it doesn't <laughs> come from you. What, 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 what do people think the purpose of agents are? Now, the report- The interesting thing, though, is the reporting on Walsh and the previous examples of this is he doesn't send these out without running it past the player. What do you mean? That's 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 what Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick had to say about the matter on their show today. When it was Marc Andre Fleury or when it was Huberto? When it was Marc Andre Fleury. They were saying in the past it has been he doesn't send it out without running it past his player. Well, I mean, if he was if he wasn't acting in his agent in his in the best interests of his clients, they wouldn't be his clients, right? I'm not saying Alan Walsh did anything wrong. No, no, but I'm yeah. just saying like. It's, you know, running it by is, I think, um, like, I don't think it's a helpful distinction. If a player had a problem with it, they wouldn't be with Walsh. You know right, what I'm saying? you know what you get, you're getting into when you sign with Alan Walsh. Well, and, and sometimes, you know, um, like, uh, like Max Pacioretty went to Walsh in a situation where, um, you know, he was with CAA and the contract negotiations with the Montreal Canadiens had kind of stalled. And felt pressured to get a tr- uh, to accept a trade, you know what I mean? And and like some sometimes you want a heavy in your corner. That's what Walsh is. Yeah, for sure. And so here are some of the response. That's from, what uh, any agent is. Some of the response from uh, from Jonathan Huberto this morning when he was asked about it. Uh, quote that doesn't come from me. Yeah, it's my agent, but it's from him. It's his account. He made that tweet. That doesn't reflect on me. Or the guys, and I also like this one. Somebody asked him uh, if he would have preferred it if Alan Walsh didn't send the tweet last night, and his reply was, "Yeah, I wouldn't be here right now talking to you guys. I'd be on my way home," which is a fantastic reply. Yes, of course I would have. Then I wouldn't be doing this media availability right now. And uh, Daryl Sutter was also asked about it, and he said something along the lines of, "Nothing that gets said on social media will ever affect a hockey team," which is like, I don't know about that. But uh, maybe, hear maybe that, ask hear that Canucks fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe ask the Vegas Golden Knights and Mark Andre Fleury about that. I don't know. Like that, that just seemed like kind of neither here nor there to me. But anyways, the the whole point of it is things are not going well. You know the thing about Calgary. a twenty three man roster? What F- forty six years? <laughs> they hear everything. Come yeah. on. Yep. I don't think you can just say, well, it happened on social media. It'll never affect anything. It's like I don't know the. The agent for your highest paid player is is airing dirty laundry like this. That seems to be a pretty big deal, Daryl. But who knows? I mean, I mean, look, I don't think they want to play for him. That's how that. that and I'm not saying that based on any on one iota of information. I'm saying that because I watched some of the game last night, and I was like, oh my god, this looks like a team that doesn't want to play for this coach anymore. We all know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. That's what and it looked it, like. It's not exactly. It's not unheard of for teams to reach that point with Daryl Sutter, right? Like even his LA teams where that he won cups with, eventually you, you kind of get to that point where the experience runs its course. And yet Brad Tree Living's in the last year of his deal, right? Daryl Sutter has a close relationship with Flames ownership. So it feels unlikely that they do the thing they should do, which is fire Daryl Sutter. <laughs> and <laughs> Oh yeah, okay. You say it. Bruce, there it is. <laughs> the Boudreaux bump. The Boudreaux bump. Can you want to you know? Do you want to know what could save the flames? How about an 
amiable guy taking over a veteran team mm. with a ton of defensive know-how and saying that plays with a ton of structure and saying play your play your, your game boys oh yeah and taking over from like an overly structured coach whose time has passed with that group bruce boo Drow. So you're saying Damian Cox just got the wrong Canadian team when he wrote that call? Yeah, well, no, obviously. <laughs> Sorry. Sheldon Keefe. Just find and replace Keith with Sutter in that call. Sheldon Keefe is an awesome, like, Sheldon Keefe is an awesome coach, in my opinion. I think he's a really good uh, offensive coach. And, I, I mean, if you're watching the Leafs play night after night, they're, like, consistent effort level. And I love what one thing the Leafs do is when they have leads, they start defending 150 feet from their net they have these like lengthy offensive possessions they're so disciplined about putting the puck into space like there's nothing about the way the Leafs play that suggests to me that they should change their coach unless you know you're you're someone who thinks like Barry Trotz could magically make them win around which they're the Leafs no one can magically make them win around. <laughs> um but like the Flames you bring in Bruce Boudreau to that team, I think you immediately have a cup contender on your hands. It's a really interesting situation. To I just think the leverage would be huge. Yeah, but as you said, that's it's a non-starter because Someone, of the power dynamics there in Calgary. It feels that way, but like they should throw. Uh, you don't get chances like this. Like you locked up Huberto. You know, like this team's one of the best underlying form teams in the league and is playing terribly. You know, you've also got a nine thirty goaltender. On your American League affiliate, mm-hmm. like hire Bruce Boudreaux, call up Dustin Wolf and see if you can find lightning in a bottle. That would be my play if I'm the Flames. I also look at it from and and look at the end of the day, ownership can make their decision. Like if you don't think Brad Treliving is your guy, then promote Daryl Sutter to GM and hire Boudreaux. Yeah. Yeah, or do something rather than let it go like this. Because it does, you even look at, and I know... You can't waste the season. They're too old and too all in. You you look at some of the conversations happening around the Flames, and there's been a lot of questions about Daryl Sutter's lineup decisions. And when you start thinking about it in the light of kind of a power struggle or at least an awkward dynamic between Trey Living and Sutter, it makes a lot more sense. Like yeah. Sutter's almost making points like arguing against Trey Living with some of his lineup decisions, which is a really toxic situation to have set up. The thing I'm wondering more than anything is, you know, we're so used to other teams looking at the Canucks being in this horrible... Uh, sorry, si- I want to add one last thing, because yeah. uh, just to follow up on what I said. I don't actually think you should fire Brad Trey Living. I think Brad Trey Living's a, a heck of a general manager. I think he's a really smart guy. Just wanted to add that. Like, it would be kind of I odd. wanted to make it clear which side I'm on, which well, side I think they should come down on. It would be really weird. And I weird. think Daryl Sutter's a heck of a coach. I just don't think it's working there. Yeah. It, it would be really weird to let Brad Treliving do the Matthew Kachuk deal in the very specific way he did it, right? Which was not future-oriented at all. It was, I'm going to do the most here and now, let's win deal I can with Matthew Kachuk, and then sign those guys to massive deals and then, like, six months later, be like, yeah, no, he's not for us. That, that's that's the, super weird. You know what, though? That's the Flames' MO. Like, the Flames are not a lot different from the Canucks in terms of what their organizational priorities have been, right? And the fact that their building is an additional mm. uh, 15 or 10 years older than Vancouver's. But, like, you know, it's 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 always been a win-now team. It's just that the Flames have done a better job winning now, right? And not, and not by a lot, but certainly at the margins, they've been a way better team over the last 10 years. Than, Man- than Vancouver is. Uh, but the instructions have always been the same. So, you know, anyway. But I wonder if because of the specific dynamic 
they are in. And we've heard, you know, Luke Shen linked to the Flames. We've heard Brock Besser linked to the Flames. Like, is this a situation the Canucks can take advantage advantage of in some way? And again, as I was saying, like, we're so used to teams around the league looking at the Canucks and kind of licking their chops. Well, How can we get in on this? Can we take advantage of them? But this is... This is there's now a team that is in like a more dramatic dramatic public mess than you are right now and has these weird incentives and is under a lot of pressure to win. Small victories, baby. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Things are looking up. Hey, uh, can you strike while the iron is hot here? If um if you're looking to take advantage in any way of the Flames, there's a very straightforward way to do it, and it is sell out to try and get Jacob Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's awesome. This guy's unreal. Like, he's 21. Well, that was the other part of it is, like, not that you should do that to any player, but he's was he basically their top prospect. If not their top prospect, oh, certainly one of their top guys. He's For me, he's one of the best young players outside the NHL, period. Like, he's a natural centerman, in my opinion, but, but he'll probably play the wing depending on what team he's on and how cautious they are about having a shorter player uh, play center. He's been point per game in the American League as a 20 and a 21-year-old. Like, point per game. We're talking... Uh, over the course of 99 games, he's got 98 points as a 20 and 21 year old. Do you know how often a player puts up those types of numbers at that age in the American League and doesn't go on to be a meaningful NHL player? Like, not often. Very rare that like he'd have to have some very unique deficiencies to his game. Mm. And I've seen him play. Um, it's not speed. I don't think it's competitiveness. Like, I, I don't. If, if he has one of those deficiencies, I don't see it. But if Sutter is winning this power struggle and they don't have time for this guy, that's the reclamation project you go after. Still got a year left on his ELC. Like, that's the one. That's that's one of those that would be worth a roll of the dice for me. I would like it. That That's interesting. And, I again, I just think it's worth kind of checking in there, especially because, to me, they're just set up to make a mistake right now. Right? When you're in the situation where you and have that, power that internal and dynamic the, you're right. and you're feeling the pressure – and your season is kind of slipping away from you. Like that's when teams make mistakes. Can, can I quickly air a Twitter grievance? Sure. <laughs> can you ever? What What are Fridays for if not airing yeah. Twitter grievances? In the immediate wake of that trade, like right away. Now I hold a lot of flame, of flame stock unapologetically. Yep. I've been wrong to this point. They have not been the contender in the Pacific that I expected them to be. Okay, I own that. But in the wake of it, as like proof of this, proof of how wrong I was about the Flames, despite you know, anyway, um, I had like one tweet. Um, in the immediate aftermath of the Kachuk deal, just being like, you know, I see the point. Of, I see why Florida would have made this deal, but my gut reaction is that the Flames are going to be a juggernaut, and that's being like posted on this one of those like really, really silly, like and very Benning supportive, like Benning boys supportive, um, uh, accounts as like this receipt of what an idiot I am, and it's uh -huh. like, come on, come on, man. So, sorry that sorry that I've been right about everything involving your team that you got wrong, but this isn't even like if it's an at to somebody reacting quickly, it's not like a well thought out prediction. Don't dunk on that. Oh, very good. Um, you either you either want to engage with people on Twitter or you, or, or you don't. We might have to uh, we might have to start like a a grievance corner. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm into it. A Twitter grievance I, segment. I, I got on a lot. I can go all day. Yeah, well, but I that know. that that, that particular like receipt account, it's like one of the like. 
not well followed receipt accounts. It's not like bad takes exposed or like one of the good ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like truly an embarrassing, unprofessional, a, amateurish mess of an account that's yeah. like mostly there to dunk on people that have been critical of Canucks moves over the last five years, which guess what? I'm running up the score against you, bud. Anyway. That one, that one in particular feels unfair. Okay, grievance, the grievance o- aired. The other name that stood out to me, and I have, no, I have no idea if there's actual like dissatisfaction with the player uh, in Calgary or not, but there's this idea that like Mackenzie Weger hasn't been good for them. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, so it's like if they're on the outs of it, and you know he's signed a super long term contract, but it's six point two five. He's a top pair defenseman. That's not an unimaginable number. I don't know. If there's anything to that, if they're looking at it as this anchor they've locked themselves into. I just have no idea how the Flames have gotten to this point. Like, it's honestly so hard to fathom that a team with this much talent is this bad. And honestly, I watched them play, too, until last night, and I've mostly been impressed. Like, it's not like they play badly. They just find ways to lose. It's actually remarkable. So I was looking up, uh, just out of curiosity, from exactly two months ago today, what the Canucks record has been. I'm looking it up on uh, Natural Stat Trick. Second worst points percentage in the NHL it's in Calgary? the last two months. No, 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 no. Uh, only above Columbus. But what I found interesting is, so Calgary's And that's 13th. close, right? It's close, it's right? It's close, yeah. Can- Canucks have a Did 327 Columbus, points Columbus, percentage. Columbus won yesterday. Yeah, Columbus has a 308 points percentage. So, so I think Columbus slipped below the Canucks. No, mm-hmm. they won yesterday. Yeah, but this is this is uh, this so, is going sorry, back two months, since, so to December seventeenth. Oh, okay. So okay. I think if you did it from like January first, Canucks would be the last. last yeah. But I wanted to do the nice round number of two months. Okay, I appreciate that. Anyways, just looking at looking at some of the other interesting trends. So Calgary's. 13th. I don't have a grievance to air against your <laughs> use of round numbers. <laughs> Calgary's thirteenth in the league in that time frame, which you know, not bad. Six hundred points percentage. Okay, like whatever. At five on five, they've controlled fifty nine percent of shots in that time. Like, that's an extraordinary number. That's an incredible number. They're dominating five-on-five play. They just cannot actually convert it to anything close to the type of record they should have. And that just really stood out to me. Like, that's better than Carolina. That's better than New Jersey. That's better than Boston. It's miles ahead of every other team in the league, and yet they're right middle of the pack in terms of actual results in that time frame. And obviously some of that is goaltending and all of that, but it's just it's such an extreme example of – the process has just not translated into results whatsoever. And they're running out of time. Like, if you're 25 games in well, and that's running, the case, they're running out of time. You can and, be a lot more patient. And they're, and they're, the process is no longer good, which mm. is where it gets really concerning. Um, Okay, we'll move on from the flames here for a second, but uh, well, more for more than that. What, what, what did you what did you laugh about? No, you got a good text in. No, I'll tell you later. Uh, but anyways, six fifty, six fifty. There were a couple of texts. Is Bear mad at me for airing grievances on air? <laughs> no, no. I, hey, <laughs> if if Bear's gonna put you on air, he got he's, he knows what he's getting into. That's it's true. like hey, you don't sign up with Alan Walsh and they get mad at yeah. him for sending those tweets. <laughs> <laughs> you don't put Trance on the air and then get mad at him for airing Twitter grievances. Alan, why are you so outspoken? I had no idea what I was getting into. How could this happen? Yeah. Walsh's Walsh's Twitter feed's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, it's great. Uh, 650-650, there's a couple of texts I wanted to read. We were talking about uh, buyouts a little bit earlier, uh, you know, the possibility with Connor Garland, OEL, et cetera, et cetera. I love this text that comes in. Uh, I don't understand why the Canucks won't retain 25% of OEL's contract and throw in three first-round picks to get rid of him. Am I missing something? <laughs> Well, I think you're probably missing the incredible value that three first-round picks have. And I do love that the OEL situation has kind of degenerated to such an extent where people are like, just do the easy thing and give up three first-round picks to move the player. 
you're probably right that that's what it would take, but that kind of answers the question as to why that is not going to be a realistic option and why people are pulling their hair out about what to do with Oliver Ekman Larson. I, I don't, I, honestly, that one like took me out. Like, I'm, it's we, such we should, a good we should text. go to break. I'm going to need to gather <laughs> it's myself. Such a good text. I love it. Uh, I love it. Why don't they just do this? Yeah, I, I, I can't think I of mean, any reasons. I mean, you might if you were like a contender but for. Yeah, if you needed that cap space to add the finishing touch to your team for next season. <laughs> and I mean, even then it would be a tremendous risk. But if it was like everything's perfect except. Yeah, except Oliver ekman Larson. <laughs> Anyways, I enjoyed that one very much. Honestly, that's one of the worst takes we've ever had texted into the show. That is. Careful, you're going to be apologizing. Unbelievable. Again. I'm, will- I'm willing to apologize. That is. I hope it's the same guy. I actually hope it's Nino in East Van because that is that's Dino Opera. Dino in East Van. Dino not in Nino. East Van. Sorry. Dino in East Van. Anyways, I don't know if Dino texts into us anymore. That's which is sad. Uh, I enjoyed Dino. That might have been Dino. I'm I enjoyed, not putting it past. I enjoyed Dino's uh, text very much. All right, we will take a break here. We'll give Drance time to recover uh, from that text. Our guy Dmitry Filipovich will join us. We'll look ahead to the Canucks opponents starting with the Philadelphia Flyers tomorrow at Rogers Arena. Final segment of the week coming up. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. What's up? You're listening to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the week. It is Friday afternoon. We're live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. As always at this time, our pleasure to be joined by our guy. He's the host of the Hockey PDO cast right here on Sportsnet 650. He is Dmitry Filipovich. Dmitry, what's going on, man? Fellas, another Friday. It's good to be with you. I'm happy. How's it going on? Well, um, I'm I'm happy except that we're going to ask you to preview the Philadelphia oh, no. Flyers, who might be the most mid-team in the NHL's long-storied history of mid-teams. Oh, mid is, I think, a, a, a generous interpretation of what the Philadelphia Flyers have been this year. Although, I guess they are ahead of the Canucks in the standings. No, but they're they're like... They're hovering right around 500. Yeah, I mean, they're just like... NHL fake 500. They're the definition yeah. of mid. They're not tanking. They're not making the... Uh, they're not even making a playoff run. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing about them that's even interesting. Yeah, yeah. They, um, I mean, they're 25th in point percentage. But you're right. Based on the way they handled this previous offseason where they brought in John Tortorello, spent a bunch of money on Tony D'Angelo, like, they clearly thought they'd be much more competitive than they have been. Um, I don't know if you guys got a chance to watch their game or, or check out the scoreline against the Seattle Kraken yesterday, but there was a point where they had six shots on goal and the Kraken had five goals. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, – Tom, you were on this at the start of the year, right, where it felt like John Tortorella was going to get them at least competitive out of the gate because everyone would be giving max effort and – Then it would fall eventually, apart. Eventually, yeah. Eventually, yeah. It's like that can only take you so far. Talent will win out in this league. And, and I think we're seeing that now where the kind of the cracks are showing and it could be a pretty ugly final 20 or so games for them. I, I've, I've watched Tortorella's previous work. I was familiar with his previous work. Um, I like it as much this season as I have in the past. Um Flyers are still going to beat the Canucks, though, right? I mean, 
I don't know. It's going to be two clubs that are certainly trying very hard without much talent to show for it. I don't know. What? It, 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 it's a coin flip. Would you say the Canucks are trying very hard? <laughs> I, the Flyers, I'll give you. I don't know if that's yeah. exactly No, but accurate. the Flyers have stopped trying really All hard right. is All the right. problem. I think the Canucks are theoretically trying hard under Rick Tockett. I think they'd like to think they are. I don't know. Well, you guys think that, that they're just mailing in these final 20 so- no, games? No, I don't think I mailing think... in is too is too harsh, but I don't. I also don't know that I look at it and think, wow, they're going a mile a minute out there. But but also Rick right. Tockett's going to hold a 90-minute morning skate so that they are <laughs> tired true. for nope. the game. Like, you know, they're trying really hard at practice. Let's put it that way. Yeah, there's going to be two teams practicing really hard before this game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what about the Predators? Because the Predators... Oh, 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 oh. I'm not done with the Flyers. I am. No. I am. Yeah, no, 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 no. I want to overrule you. Oh, my God. All, All right. right. Fine. No, I, no Sorry. No. I don't want to miss your scintillating weight at Allison and Allison. All Go. I wanted to ask was, look, we got to find entertainment where we can in these last uh, stretch of Canucks games. If there's one player to watch to zero in on for entertainment sakes on the Flyer... Uh, Flyers, who is it, Dimitri? It's Wade Allison. All right, let's talk about the Nashville Predators. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, Jamie. I got to be honest with you. Let's if, go. If, That's if, a fantastic is this, is this answer, game, to be honest. Is it? Is this game being played on Saturday night? On yeah. Oh, yeah. Canada? Oh, yeah. I really, really hope that everyone at home has better plans. I really, if you're, if you're, <laughs> if you're sitting down on Saturday night to watch this game, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I, on the alternate on the alternate channel, there'll be um, you know, there'll be another option. You can watch uh, Calgary and the Rangers, r- the rematch of that grudge match. So watch oh, hockey. Yeah. Who who but, would be like the Flyers guy in the promo? You know, it'd be like Elias Pettersson in the Vancouver Canucks versus Kevin Hayes. Yeah, and the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Kevin, yeah. yeah, I know. I mean, I don't know. It's it's ugly. Um, well, Nashville. They, they, they sit. Oh, no, let me let me what one point on the Flyers, which is really funny. Like I think it was last week or something. They came out and said that they were surprised at how bad Tony, Tony Angelo was defensively. They're like, <laughs> oh, we, we really didn't see this coming. It's like, wow, uh, that that statement in itself. Like, there's so much to unpack there, but it says everything you need to know about the state of the Philadelphia Flyers. Way to way to leave space for Johnny Gaudreau, who wanted to come and play for you. Like, what? Well done. Yes. I, yeah. I, I honestly, I, I'm shocked by what's transpired in Philadelphia. Like. You think you think I'm negative about this team? If we if we covered the the Philadelphia Flyers, my goodness. Well, here's um, an honest question for you before we move on to the Predators. You know, I don't think we have a draft in place for today's show, and we typically do that at the end of the segment. Yes, yeah, and and, and we we'll, we shouldn't draft this. Maybe we can do this later on in the season, but just to get the wheels turning. Like, if you were doing a draft of situations you'd least like to inherit, like talent in place, coach, uh, contract, everything. Like, where would the Canucks be on that list, and the where would the Flyers be on that list? One, two. In my opinion, one, two. But I th- In terms of, like, the worst, like, the least least favorable. In terms of the least favorable. But I still think I'd take Vancouver over Philly. I, st- I think I'd still take Vancouver over Philly. Um, yeah. Because at the very least, like, what's the gap between the Rasmus Ristolainen in five years left and Oliver ekman Larson four years left, right? Like, it's not that big um you know what's the gap between kevin hayes with four years left and jt miller at seven years left um you'd rather have kevin hayes um but i mean at the end of the day philadelphia has no analogous talent to quinn hughes and elias Patterson. like at the at the very least that would sway me to to say i think vancouver's situation is more hopeful yeah 
Yeah. yeah, I think that's the right answer. And, and you guys wanted to switch to the Predators. <laughs> look at all, look at all the great <laughs> look at us. Look at the great this flyers conversation we're having yeah. here. No, but the Predators yeah. are interesting to me, particularly because they're playing better of late, and they're in a race that I think Canucks fans should be very engaged with and interested in. Um, in that they currently sit five points behind the New York Islanders. Mm-hmm. Who Vancouver have uh, will will give Vancouver their pick should they finish, um, you know, in in the bottom twelve among the NHL, but they have five games in hand. So if the predator the Predators to me are like the bellwether team, the Predators are the team that needs to finish ahead of the Islanders if the Canucks are going to punt that pick into next season. Um, what what's been behind Nashville's turnaround? Where, where's this team at? Yeah, I mean they're kind of. <laughs> They're in a tricky spot, right? Because UC Soros is probably like the second or third best goalie in the league. And so he raises their baseline to a point where they can't really bottom out even if they wanted to, which is why they're about 20th or so in the league in terms of point percentage. But Philip Forsberg's been out the past couple of games or so and, and just watching them play without him, like they have no real recourse for for creating offense. I mean, the Bruins do this to a lot of teams of watching that game last night. They they just they had no hope of scoring and, and they wound up getting walloped five nothing, I believe. So the Predators are kind of stuck in that in that middle. It's like the least least desirable spot to be in, at least with teams like the the Flyers and the Canucks, which you just talked about, they're gonna get a really high pick, hopefully. Uh in, in this in the case of the Predators, it seems like they're sort of doubling down and tripling down with with this group. They've invested so much in it. It's a bunch of players who are in their 30s now and, and they're still pod committed to long term and so they can't really afford to tear it down and UC Soros is too good to prevent them from doing so but that's probably what they should be for like the long-term health of the organization yeah they're in an interesting position because it, you know if you listen to some of the things David Poyles had to say it sounds like maybe he's getting ready to sell but also they're in this position where it's kind of like well it's going to depend what we do between now and the deadline which is always a really really dangerous uh, spot to be in when you're waiting you know five or six or seven games that strongly you were kind of alluding to it there but just how do they move forward are they just in a position where they're condemned to be in that mushy middle for the foreseeable future yeah i think they're i mean they're they're pretty stuck if you look at the contracts they have in place it's it's a lot of money tied up for the next 3 4 or 5 years on players who probably aren't worth that or it's definitely aren't worth that salary right now and, and will only depreciate in value moving forward so they're kind of just stuck sort of doing this this same old dance now the past couple of years like last year in particular Cesaros was so good that he was able to drag them to the playoffs before he got hurt but I don't know it's it's a pretty bleak situation to be in I gotta I gotta say like there's it seems like there's probably a couple years ahead where they're going to be around the 20th best team in the league or so and aren't going to be able to cash in a high pick, but also aren't going to be able to meaningfully compete. And and that's just something you have to try to avoid. And when you're at the position they're in now, I, I really don't know what you do. One of the names uh, that's come up as someone they could move on, not necessarily a big name, but from the blue line, Dante Fabro. And I know Fabro has a lot of uh, resonance for Canucks fans because he's a local product. There's always interest in him. And he does kind of fit the mold You know, we've heard Jim Rutherford say between 22 and 25, maybe guys that didn't work out fully with their first team, maybe we can get something more out of them. I'm not sure how much he moves the needle for me. What do you see when you watch Dante Fabro? 
Yeah, it, it, it's tough. It certainly seems like they're going to move him. I mean, he's one of the few players they have that doesn't have term committed to him. He, he I, I don't know. They've asked a lot of him when they, when they have played him. Like, his usage has been pretty intense. So I think if you brought him in and you were able to to shelter him or put him in a more advantageous position, I think there's something there. But ultimately, the skill hasn't really translated to the level that I thought it would when he was a prospect. So... Uh, I'm, I'm not sure like it, it's worthwhile if you're just kind of gambling on it for very little um very little risk which might you might be able to do because the predators are just desperate to make any sort of move they can but i don't really think the payoff is necessarily there where it's like something you should be kind of viewing as a home run even if you are able to get them should we move on to the blues are the blues any threat to the canucks in the great tank battle <laughs> and and i mean i mean to finish lower than them in the standings well, since they um since they made a Tarasenko trade, I believe they haven't lost. Is that correct? Like, I think they've won at least three in a row here. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's it, it's it's tricky with them because I think there's still moves in the way for them, right? It seems like they're going to trade O'Reilly, they're going to trade Barbashev, probably Nolachari. Like, I, I think they're going to fully embrace being sellers and get as many features as they can. So, I think that's sort of working in their favor for moving back down the standings, but there's still enough talent in place there with Kairou and Thomas and Braden Shen and Buchnevich and so on and so forth that they're probably going to score enough to to win enough games to stay ahead of the Canucks in the standings. Or I guess if you want to view it, the Canucks are going to be able to stay ahead of them in the, ahead of them in the, uh, in the tank battle. So when they traded Tarasenko, I, I made the point on Twitter that, hey, they could be a dark horse to, uh, to sink below the Canucks. It doesn't look like such a hot take now because the Canucks have kept losing. And as you said, they've kept winning. So just to put it in perspective, the points percentage gap right now between the Canucks and St. Louis is the same as the gap between St. Louis and Colorado. And I don't think anyone's looking at, you know, St. Louis as a threat to overtake Colorado. So, it's a pretty significant gap that they would uh, they'd have to overcome if they're going to get below the Canucks. I haven't looked at the schedule yet. Do you guys know off the top of your head if the Canucks have any games left against either the Coyotes or the Sharks? Um yeah, they have, yeah, they have two at least against two against the Coyotes. the Coyotes and I think oh, man. And maybe one. They have left one against the San Sharks Jose. for sure and then they have two or three against Anaheim? Yeah, they have a bunch against Anaheim. They have a very easy schedule. They have the, they're up. one of the easiest in the league. When those games come up on the schedule, we should do like devote full segments of the show to like breaking down how the Canucks can lose those games. Well, actually, so the the last week of the Canucks schedule, it begins with LA, so okay, but then the last two games on Tuesday and Thursday are Anaheim and Arizona. Those are going to be wow. so hard fought. Those are going to be that, phenomenal games. That that's where championships are won, right there. <laughs> Truly though, right? Like how yeah, committed no, I'm, are I'm, you? I'm being serious. Yeah, I'm I know. I know you like are. That it should be, it should be a full like full all out blitz to lose as much as you possibly can in those games. Um, Dimitri reports uh, surfacing from um, Darren Dreger. Uh, suggests that the Blues would be open. Uh, I don't think this needed to be reported, but would be open to moving one of their top four defensemen um, <laughs> with Colton Pareko drawing the most interest. He's in the first year of like a long-term six-plus million-dollar contract. What's happened there? Yeah, I that's that's hilarious framing. I, I'm sure the Blues would be open to moving some <laughs> of those players. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So they have what? I think 20 by quick math, 23.5 million here committed to the top 4 of Pareko, Falk, Krug and um Nick Letty. Once Pareko turns 30 in April, all those players will be on the wrong side of 30 and they're all committed to the next like 4 years or so. They're not I I would be pretty surprised if they were able to move any of those players. It's just we're like we're seeing even for defensemen 
no one's going to really take on that type of liability unless it comes with significant sweeteners. So I, I would view any trade involving Pareko at this point as like they're giving up assets to get out, of, out from under that contract as opposed to where we were at a couple of years ago where a team would have paid significant futures just to get him on their team. Has this game fallen off that much? Like, is are, are you talking? I mean, you're probably not talking Oliver Ekman Larson level value, but are, are how how close? Like, are you in the same area code? Yeah, it's 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 tricky. Like, I'm such I was such a big fan of Colton Preko's game. Me I too. thought when they won the cup, he was their most valuable defender. Like, I know that Petrangelo got a lot of the acclaim and had much more production, but the reason he was able to do so was because at the start of his career, they were relying on him to play such heavy defensive minutes, and then when Pareko came into his own, he kind of became their shutdown guy and freed up Petrangelo to reap all the rewards. It, he's I know he's had injuries um, it, over the past couple of years. I believe he had like a back injury or something, and I think his movement just isn't as good as it was before, but I think it also shows like the 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 risk that's inherent in just like committing to players who present all of their value through defense, because we know that that's so much more volatile year over year. It's so much trickier to just stay really, really good at defense. It's much more predictable when you have offensive players who produce. And so I think it's a matter of it as he's entering his thirties here, it's just like really tricky thing to navigate and keep doing. And, And I think that's been as big of a problem as 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 anything like he's certainly not as fluid of a skater as he was in his prime but i think there's like a lot lot in play there for him if you were a contender looking at the blues roster going into the trade deadline who would you be really excited about potentially acquiring i don't know if there's anyone left (laughs) at this point like i like i I think o'reilly certainly has more to contribute than he's shown this season or, or what his numbers might suggest he still has left in the tank I would be very wary of like paying a premium for Ivan Barbashev. I know that his contract is much easier to to bring on to many contenders' rosters, but like last year was such an aberration for him offensively in terms of just shooting percentage, juicing all of his production, and and I don't really think he's that significant of a needle mover. And then you're getting into like the the Nolacharis for a fourth round pick or something. So uh, I'm gonna go with O'Reilly. I still think he has something to contribute, not necessarily being like a number one shutdown center, but certainly enough utility to to kind of push a, a good team over the top. Hey, before we get to uh, a draft, and Jance and I did quickly plan a, a draft uh, subject, oh, wow, which will spring on you here in a minute, but uh, we were talking about the Flames last segment and what a mess mm-hmm. that has turned into. W- what do you see when you watch the Flames right now? Yeah, it really has. I mean, I don't know. There, the, There's two things to parse, right? Like one, I think, is 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 Jacob Markstrom just completely falling apart is certainly hurt. Um, and then the other is like the offense is sort of reverted to a lot of the the things that we thought of Daryl Sutter teams in the past and just like how like the lack of creativity and imagination in East-West to their game and it's really kind of been dumbed down and, and oversimplified and so yeah they, they look like a shell of the team they were last year and I think especially for Tom I know that he was incredibly high on them so but it's surprising for me too I thought they'd be much more successful at least this year than they've shown so far I own a lot of Calgary Flames stock and it is uh devaluing yeah. rapidly all right we're gonna draft teams we're most excited to to see what they do like the most exciting trade deadline teams that's yeah. what we're going to draft. And I'm picking first because I picked third last time, right? Sure. And Dimitri will go you, second. You need every advantage you can get. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on a bad run of drafts. <laughs> I'm going to draft first, and I'm going to draft the Surefire President's Trophy winner, the Boston Bruins. I think they're going to make a big splash. 
I think they need to make a big splash just in terms of their internal dynamics. Um, and, you know, what's interesting about the Bruins is when they splash at the deadline, they often use the deadline to acquire, like, long-term fits, Taylor Hall, Hampus Lindholm, right? Like, they're, they're not just in the rental market usually. They're, they're after longer um, stuff with a longer view. So I'm going to pick the Boston Bruins. How are you so bad at these drafts? <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, it really is impressive. Blue- <laughs> Jamie, were the Bruins like even in your top five? <laughs> I don't think they would have. They should have been. Yeah, they should. They're be not even on my one. list. All right, Dim, you no. you go you go next. All right, uh, I can probably. Oh, there's a team I really want, but You're I think gonna I can look get them, foolish get when the Bruins trade for Timo Meyer. Well, that I mean. All right, let's stick with that. I, I'd say the New Jersey Devils for a lot of what Tom just said, but for actual like I think there's much more. <laughs> to it in, in, in that I think they actually will get Timo Meyer, and I think they're in a position where they have their core in place, they can go for a bit of a luxury item, but also view Timo Meyer as a player who they can sign long-term and can kind of ride shotgun with either Jack Hughes or Nico Hishier for the next five, six, seven years. And so they're already really good now. They can get meaningfully better. They have the flexibility moving forward financially and the assets in terms of players they've drafted to basically get whoever they want and outbid whoever's in the Timo Meyer sweepstakes with them. So I'll take the, uh, I'll take the devil second. So that was going to be my pick because I, I would love to see Timo Meyer end up with New Jersey. I think there's a strong possibility he does. I'll go with Carolina. Um, they don't do the rental thing either, but that also means like similar to what you were saying about Boston, right? There's a potential that it's not just kind of a, a six week acquisition, that there's more meat to it than that. Don Waddell has said that their first round pick is going to be in play. And you know, there's some kind of organizational pressure to get over the hump, to add that kind of extra bit of talent to help them out in the playoffs. So I'm excited to see what Carolina does. Plus they have the assets, they have the draft picks and the, and the prospect capital to make a big splashy move. If they want to do it, I'm going to go with the Carolina hurricanes and my next pick, I'm going to go – I don't know that they they have the creativity to make it as exciting as it can be, but I'm going to go with the Edmonton Oilers just on the off chance that the Eric Carlson thing happens. Because mm-hmm. not that one trade in and of itself is that exciting, but the product that would result from that and seeing Eric Carlson and Connor McDavid on the ice together would be really, really cool. Plus, just Eric Carlson getting traded at the deadline to a, a playoff team would be really cool. So I'll go with Carolina and Edmonton as my picks. I like that. Okay, so what was uh, this draft is for teams like that are like don't, highest leverage or most interesting? Don't what, what? don't 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 question the uh, the criteria okay. we're using. Okay. Dimitri. I agree with uh, you. I have questions too, but let's not get into it too much. Okay, all right. I will go with the Leafs here because I'm very curious to see whether they do the right thing, which is go all in for a meaningful forward. Because despite what every sort of talking head will tell you about them, I think the one weakness they have is creating creating offense quickly off the rush um, or if they go the wrong direction which is adding sort of a traditional stay-at-home defensive defender which I don't think they need at this point so I think there's a real um, power struggle there in terms of trying to figure out what they want to do and how they want to use whatever resources they have at this deadline and, and I think honestly you can make a case that they're the most interesting team to track at, the, at this trade deadline because they're obviously really good this season but they're kind of at this crossroads in in, in terms of what they want to accomplish. All right, I get two picks that I'm going to blow spectacularly. <laughs> you probably could have got the Bruins at this 100%, point still if you hadn't wasted your first pick. Yeah. I'm going to take – oh, man. I'm going to take the Seattle Kraken. Okay? Because yeah, brutal. 
What? Oh my god! <laughs> you guys aren't seeing the angles. <laughs> if, if if only the Canucks were able to tank as well as you tank these drafts. <laughs> well, they're they're definitely as good at drafting. They're trying. Yeah. Um, the Seattle Kraken. No, at the end of the day, you got to send a message to that marketplace. I think they're sneaky, going to do some interesting stuff, and then I'm going to pick the uh, Dallas Stars. Oh, that's see, that's a good pick. I like Dallas Stars is a good pick. Yeah, that's congratulations. Pick, you got on your third try. Third try is the charm. No, I, I'm telling you, Boston's way more interesting than you guys are giving them credit for. <laughs> All right, your last pick, Dimitri. Okay, I will go. Do, 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 do. All right, I'll go with the uh, with the LA Kings here because oh, I still terrible think, pick. I still think <laughs> that they are the the favorites for Jacob Chikrin. Although I think the Bruins might get him and and maybe that uh solidifies tom taking them first but i think the kings have a play here i mean they have so many right shot defensemen in their system everyone wants those they are competing for the pacific division title uh right now despite the fact that they've had like the worst goaltending in the league and so i think they should be pushing their chips in and making a meaningful addition and so i like them i like them here all right i'll wrap it up quickly here i'm going off the board with my last pick i'm taking the ottawa senators because just in terms of teams that could make you laugh the most on the deadline i like them pierre dorian has already said they might buy and sell at the same time so if you're looking for pure entertainment at the deadline i'm taking a flyer on the ottawa senators terrible pick that does it for us today have a great weekend. We're back on Monday. You've got it on Sportsnet 650.